Welcome to the John Land Podcast, episode 65, and it's the interview series, What It's Like to Be, and it's number seven, and it's What It's Like to Be an Air Traffic Control Specialist. Um, today I had uh, my buddy uh, Patrick DeWall, he's a air traffic control specialist at Salt Lake International. Um, I only, I've only known him for about a year because I was friends with his wife first, um, her name is Amber. I can say that because he said it on the podcast, so it's not like I'm getting in trouble. Um, anyway, so yeah, it was a fun interview. Uh, kind of learned his background, why he wanted to be an air traffic control specialist, and how he got into it, and the schooling he went to, and some of the places he's been tra- and he's traveled to. Uh, it's really an interesting job because, like we talk about, like you don't see the air traffic control specialist. Like he's not even in the tower. He does all the radar and and basically make sure everything go safely in the sky from planes getting from where they need to go and where they lift off at and where they, where they land. So it's a really cool, uh, cool interview and, um, learned a lot about, uh, airports and, uh, air traffic and just how it all works. Um, so yeah, enjoy the episode and, uh, catch you on the next one. So yeah, again, this is the, uh, episode 65 and number seven of what it's like to be, and it is an air traffic control specialist for today. So uh, peace out. Enjoy. Always got to get the pop. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Welcome everybody to the John Lyon podcast, episode sixty-five. 65. I'm getting up there. It's up there. Um, but this is the interview series. It's what it's like to be number seven, and today it's what it's like to be a air traffic control specialist. That's right. Get it right. That's right. And we got Patrick Patrick DeWall. That's is that it. How you say it. That's it. Do you have like any like? Does anyone ever pronounce your name like horribly wrong? No, I think it's more of people that actually like to make fun of it, thinking it's like the wall. Oh yeah, because it's spelled D A. It's no. D E capital W. That's what it is. Yeah. Okay. So it's weird. What does that come from? It's like, Dutch. Dutch. Okay. Yeah. Is that where they like? Because there's some na- last names where like the first letters capitalized, the second one's not, and then it gets big again. It's like a yeah, scene. it's all it's all Dutch. It comes from the father's side of the family. So. All right. All right. Yep. So, um. Yeah, so Patrick's first time on the podcast. It is. Uh, but before we get into this little interview, um, we're going to have a fun fact. Let's do it. Fun fact. Let's see. I took a screenshot of it, so I have to pull it up again. All right, you ready? Yeah. The T-shirt was invented in 1904 and marketed to bachelors who couldn't sew or replace buttons. Interesting. <laughs> There's the fun fact. Right up my alley. <laughs> um, so you've been pretty good? Work's been going good? Yeah, it's been really good. Yeah? It's been uh, it's a lot of interesting stuff going on at the airport. Yeah. Everything getting reconstructed, so. Oh, yeah, they're yeah. in the big. Because in Utah, there's supposed to be a giant earthquake that we're like a couple hundred years past due for. Yeah, pretty much. My wife went to like this conference a couple of years ago when they unveiled all the plans for the airport. Yep. And she was saying like. The reason why they're doing it is to obviously update it, but if there that big earthquake did hit, like the entire airport would be like leveled because it hasn't been like 
well, restructured so, or refurbished for yeah. a very long time. So it's kind of an interesting fact, but the current airport that we have now mm-hmm. is a collection of 29 separate buildings all put into one. What? So, so the, yeah, the original terminal that Salt Lake ever had when they started air travel into the state is still there. Uh-huh. And so instead of building a new airport, they just kept building an add-on and an add-on and an add-on. Yeah. And so finally they just said, okay, we can either renovate what we've got or we can just start over new, like tear it down yeah. and just do what you want. But they, uh, the airlines in the city got together and they said, it's a new deal. So new airport, new everything, but it's going to bring in, we're going from two or three international gates up to, I think, 10. Oh, yeah, because so, that airport, it's not till you get to the, when you're doing the pickup, it's like the last three that are yeah, international, right? Yep. That's so insane. So basically the building right now... Or the terminal is a Lego set because Pretty it was twenty nine yeah. different buildings. Where did they grab? Did they grab these from other just random buildings or other airports? No, so it's just they added on. So I mean, it's not like that they grabbed a building or anything. It's just the fact that they decided that as Delta expanded and then other airlines started coming to Salt Lake, that they just said, "Hey, let's just make more gate space." So what do you do? You just build on to the existing buildings you had already. Yeah. So. And when I say like 29 separate buildings, it's in a sense, it's just 29 different extensions. Oh, it's just so, like remodeling, yeah, like just added on. They just on. remodeled, added on. And so that's why our Try airport to make it look looks like it so weird right now. Yeah, yeah, it is kind of like weird. And then the line, when you get in there, it goes over the cool little like thing on the ground, like the globe. Mm-hmm. You don't even get to see that anymore. I appreciate nope. it. But it was probably first built, the line to get into TSA probably wasn't there. So. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you think about it before, too, when you could go through security before 9-11. Oh, yeah, you're right. go with your family members out to the gate. Yeah. So there was no need for that line because everybody could just filter through. Yeah. But now because of all those restrictions, the lines are all forming outside of security. So, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. But even that's going to get torn down. That's crazy. Yeah. So then how old is the Salt Lake Airport? It's old. I don't even know the exact. Yeah. Um, But, I mean... I got pictures at work. Oh, there you go. Yeah, they're all they're, over the place. I know black, they're there. It's they're forever. black and white. I'm assuming. Oh yeah, they're black and white because it's it started with one runway and then Western Airlines was the big one that came into Salt Lake and put Salt Lake on the map. Mm-hmm. And they decided that Delta saw it as a chance to basically expand into the West and create a hub. So they bought out Western and created Salt Lake City as a hub. Uh-huh. So we've had Delta as a hub city. You know. Forever, pretty much. Yeah. So. So then, because another giant hub is like, for one example, like Atlanta, Georgia is a pretty huge one, right? That's like their main hub. Yeah. yeah. The airport. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of traffic that comes in and out. I think yep. I've seen a air traffic map, and it has like all the lines. Yep. And a ton of lines are going into like Atlanta. I'm assuming yeah. New York and other places like that are pretty big too. Yep. So we've. Delta's got kind of a, a mini hub LAX. Okay. They've started a new hub, in a sense, in Seattle, which uh-huh. has started a fight with Alaska Airlines. And uh-huh. then we've got the hub here in the west with Salt Lake. And it's kind of a really strategic airport because there's less airline airport fees. Yeah. So they can actually put a plane on the ground and spend less money to put a plane on the ground here versus if they were to land and put the plane on the ground in L.A. Oh. But they also have a hub in Minneapolis and Detroit. This is Delta? Yeah. Has all these hubs? So uh, these are all the big hubs for Delta, but its headquarters are Atlanta. So that's why Atlanta is so big. Yeah. But if you'll look at what Salt Lake's doing now, uh-huh. you'll see that our airport reconstruction mimics Atlanta. Uh, so the way that they're building the new terminals is based off the input Delta's given them because of the stronghold and 
you know, everything they've got here invested into Salt Lake. Oh. So, like, do, uh, before we get into your career, like, yeah. what it was like, do, like, do airlines have a lot of say on, like, what goes on in the airports? Because, like, if, basically, if, if I'm understanding how it works correctly, is, it like, if they don't want to have their airline there, they don't have to? Or is it, like, a contract? Yeah. No, it's no contract. I mean, it's matter of, like, for Delta, it's it's been strategic. They've been here, so they've been able to, you know, expand and, you know, progress at their own rate. Uh-huh. And so without Delta, Salt Lake's airport would be a whole different place out there. So for Delta, in a sense, to, to, to the thought of having Delta to leave yeah. would be huge for the city. Yeah. And it's, like, just, and it's always kind of gone back and forth. Like, there's been, I know the city and whatnot has it been in, don't want to say fights, but, you know, discussions with yeah, Delta yeah. and there have always been the rumor that, you know, if something doesn't go right, that Delta would go to Denver. They'll back out kind of thing. So, yeah. And so then it kind of creates a whole panic mode of like, no, well, what do we, what do we got to do? Yeah. But Delta's done a lot of good stuff for this airport, uh-huh. um, but they do have a lot of say just because they are the, the main airline that's here, whereas Denver is United. So United's got the yeah, clout so at in Denver. Denver, yeah, it's pretty much got a lot of input by United. Oh. But pretty much anywhere where an airline has a hub, they kind of have a the majority say, or they have a lot of push or pull for oh. certain things that can happen at the airport. So then, with an airport, like, does the how does an airport get started? Like, does the city decide we want to build one? Or I'm assuming the yeah. airlines have to think like, well, no one really flies out of here, so that's probably why they would say. There's no interest in us being at this airport because there's not going to be a lot of traffic or business for us. Is yeah. that what I'm? Well, how it's it like, works, kind of. I mean, Allegiant, for example. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, before Allegiant came here, Provo was wanting to get put on the map. Uh-huh. We have a regional airport down here in Provo, but there's not commercial service. At least there wasn't when I first got back from where I started my career. But they wanted to try to get SkyWest to come into um, into Provo to offer service, but. That's a lot of money and a lot of things that they've got to figure out. TSA has got to come down here. And so SkyWest had everything set up in Salt Lake. And for the longest time, everybody's driven up to Salt Lake, no problem. Yeah. And now all of a sudden they're like, hey, like we want to bring service down here, which is it's a great idea, but it will never be a strong commercial airport. Well, yeah, it's the, even the terminal itself is like dinky compared to – Yep. no offense to anyone who works in a <laughs> airport. <laughs> no, it, it's different. It's just the fact that it's it's just not a strong enough market. So yeah. that's what it kind of goes off of. And I know that um, Frontier started flying in to mm-hmm. initiate commercial service into Provo, and it just didn't land up lasting. It just didn't work. Pun intended. So, yeah. <laughs> so Allegiant came in and kind of saved the day, and I guess in the sense of commercial service, but they also went up to Ogden. So oh, Allegiant okay. flies out. Wait, there's an airport in Ogden? Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Yeah. So we got commercial, slight commercial service yeah. by Allegiant up in both places. So uh, Okay. I know we use Allegiant when we went to uh, San Francisco. Mm-hmm. in 2016 it was super convenient like they say you have to fly out on a thursday and be back by sunday we went out for my favorite band they're doing a concert there yeah. a special one we never been to san francisco so that's the only time i've ever flown a legion but every other time i fly out of salt lake so yeah but flying's funny because you were literally like you're literally moving through like time and space mm-hmm. and it's just weird like you go up in the sky and then you come back down and you're like in a completely different <laughs> Oh yeah, it's just the stupid crap I think about sometimes. Like you just break it down. It's like, oh yeah, I'm in an hour. I'm in Las Vegas or I'm in California. It's just weird. I mean, you think about when you go to the airport and you see these big, massive metal objects. Yeah. 
and they're like, this thing is going to leave the ground yeah. and rocket me through the sky, and I'm going to be on the other side of the country in three and a half, four hours when yeah. it took people months, you know, to get out there and forever, you know, just days on a train. Yeah, or even now, a couple days on, in a car. Yeah. So... It's pretty crazy. It is. Well, that was a good little uh, insight to how airports work in the, I guess you could call it the politics of airport. Or I guess not yeah. politics, like business. It's the just business, the business aspect side of, of it. everything, yeah. Um, so, how did you get your start as an air traffic control specialist? Like, did you know you wanted to do this from like a young age? Yeah. I remember we talked about this a little bit yeah. at your house. So, um, you always known you wanted to do this? Yeah, ever since I was a kid. You used to play with like airplanes and crap when I you did. were like. I did. I had the, you know, toy store and. Asked mom and dad to go buy me the the toys in the in the toy aisle. That was always planes. It's always been it for me. Um, what about Starscream from Transformers? I never, <laughs> just never did. I knew Starscream, but yeah. just never. That's a jet though, not yeah. a plane. But no, it's it's all all planes. So it's like I love jets. Yeah. everything down to the props. So I mean, it's it's all encompassing for me. But um, my mom is from South Africa. Okay. So oh yeah, you did. We tell were me that. flying back to go visit my mom's family and I just remember being in Chicago looking out the window I was four years old and I can still remember just looking out the window and seeing the control tower I've got a, a window full of planes yeah and I love them but I saw this control tower and I was like I'm gonna work there I just I want to be up at in four that, years old you thought I want to be in that tower I mean it's just the higher it was the more planes you could see I don't know what it was but I was like I'm That's gonna do it interesting at a young yeah. age yeah, I wish I had that because I still don't know what I want to do with my life. <laughs> no, I mean, it, I didn't really think about it. It was yeah. just it was such a, an easy decision for me. But at the same time, it just made going through school just so much easier. Yeah. Just I never really thought, like, what am I going to do? Like, um, am I going to change my degree this time? Am I going to change this? I just knew what I wanted. Yeah. So that's, it was always really easy. That's super easy. easy. Yeah, yeah, I remember because I, I have something as far as similar goes, uh, uh, the relating of how school school gets easier when you know you want to do. I remember Very like much. once you get out of generals, like, and you start focusing on your major, school yeah. becomes way more enjoyable because you're actually learning what you wanted to learn. Yep. And then I noticed, um, I'm assuming it's for most majors, you start to see the same students because yes. they're all in the same classes. And so you start to build rapport and build friendships and things like that. Like I had this one guy, um, he's going to be on the podcast soon, but uh, we took like five classes together yeah. the last like year and a half. Yeah. And that's when school is enjoyable or as far as like you were saying, you have yeah. more focus, your major. Um, cause, oh, excuse me, I keep burping. Uh, my definition of generals is uh, they classes that remind you what you don't want to do for the rest of your yeah, life. <laughs> I completely agree on that one. The ones that you're just like, I don't know why I'm taking these yeah. classes. It's Apparently like you already took them in high school. Yeah. So it's like, why the heck are you taking them again? Yeah. So so then so then you at a young age knew you wanted to be an air traffic control or whatever you that that tower yep. was. You wanted to do whatever it was. I wanted in there. to be in the tower. And maybe it was a different reason when you were a kid. It's because you could see all more more planes. But yep. then when did you start to understand what air traffic control was as you got older? Like what that job actually entailed? It wasn't that much longer. Um, I would say by like age eight. My parents and like some of our family friends started giving me like subscriptions to like airliner magazines, and uh, I was just reading up everything before and, the internet was huge. Yeah, back in the day when you had to have magazines to figure stuff out. <laughs> so some so some kids get caught with like nudie magazines, yeah. and you were caught with yeah. like just checking I out airplanes and checking stuff. out seven thirty sevens and its <laughs> sleek lines. <laughs> you have to hide them under your bed. Yeah, that's funny. So now it's like we uh, like for me it was just reading. I just couldn't 
ever stop learning more about aviation. I just loved it, uh-huh. thrived off of it. Um, I would go out. I had a neighbor that was an air traffic controller. Oh, that, that's helpful. And so I just started going out to the airport, and I was arranging tours with Delta and SkyWest to go visit. At eight years old? For scouts. Oh, yeah. there yeah. you go. I was like, what the freak? Do you have like no. a cell phone and business crap going yeah. on? Yeah. No, I was, I was the one, you know, you'd think that your Cub Scout leaders and everything would take care of, you know, the activities and yeah. everything. And I was the one on the phone with Delta trying to go through one person to the next person to the next. And all of a sudden you'd land up with the uh, person out at the hangar. And I was arranging tours for our Cub Scout group and our Boy Scout group to go out there and it was purely selfish because it was only me that wanted to do it yeah but i was just hey this is an excuse to bring everybody else along and yeah, make it yeah. seem like hey it's fun for everyone but yeah we just always would go out and then i would always go out with my neighbor that was a controller and he was he'd been in for a long time and we had another neighbor that was the airport manager for salt lake mm-hmm. so i kind of did some stuff with him and then it was another guy who moved in next door to us that worked for another portion of the airport that does what we call ramp control. Yeah. So I was just surrounded by all these resources. That's and so insane. I just constantly just found ways to get myself out at the airport, get behind the scenes with these guys so I could learn everything I possibly could. So I just kind of was really lucky growing up that everywhere I went, I just had some kind of resource or someone to talk to. Or a way to basically to get up close and personal with every plane that I ever wanted. That's crazy. This is like, just hearing that, it's like this was like your destiny almost yeah. to freaking no. be. It's seriously, it's <laughs> what it feels like still. That's crazy. Yeah. So then you, you're meeting all these people, and then you're going through middle school and high school and whatnot. And yep. then I'm assuming you're still subscribed to all these magazines. The mm-hmm. internet starts getting bigger. You can start doing more research and stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, how often were you at the airport? I was out there probably once or twice a month. Okay. So I had joined, my parents wanted me to join the Civil Air Patrol, but it was more, it was more of kind of a preliminary, like military type thing. Oh, okay. But you got out there and it was, you'd go along and do, Civil Air Patrol does a lot of like search and rescue missions, Uh but you kind of get your, your foot in the door with being like a pilot Ah. and taking on that kind of role into aviation. But I went out and visited the Civil Air Patrol meetings a couple of times and no offense, but it just wasn't my cup of tea. It yeah. just is like, I love planes too much and it's just, you're not focusing on planes enough Yeah, to make this interesting for me. So I landed up starting to fly when I was 17. Like actually flying the mm-hmm. plane? Yep. So I started flying with Salt Lake Community College okay. and was out there. They had a program for a little while. They had, it lasted maybe a couple of years, but I was only in it for about a year and a half. And then I transferred out of Utah because what I needed to do was outside of the state. Uh, okay. So that's where it kind of everything for me. So I learned to fly here. Yeah. I learned all of the you know the, the local like practice areas. I knew the ins and outs of this airspace, the ins and outs of this airport. You know, to the different airports that are all around us because we're responsible for quite a bit around here. But yeah, it definitely plays an advantage to me now that I'm a controller over the skies of Salt Lake. That's insane. So then you, I was trying to, I had a question. Crap. So you're about to, so you transfer from Salt Lake Community and you're, you're going to leave state to go to, to college. Yep. So did you ever, this is the question I was going to ask you. So before we jump into your college life, yeah. did you uh, know, did you ever like hesitate and be like, I don't know if I want to do air traffic control. I actually might want to do 
be a pilot? Did that ever come into play? No. Um, for me, it was always air traffic, okay. which is really surprising for a lot of people because I do work with a lot of pilots that yeah. actually started out as pilots and then came in as to controlling. Okay. Um, kind of like how uh, basketball players become uh, sports analysts afterwards. <laughs> pretty much. That's what it feels like. Because <laughs> it's like when we go to work and we listen to all the procedures and everything that's going on, I've got all the resources literally sitting next to me and behind me that were yeah. once flying for the airlines. Or in the other analogy, once playing basketball or yeah, whatever it is. Exactly. And they're just now in yep. the office space of it, I guess you could call it. Oh, yeah. So then you you never wanted to be a pilot. You just wanted to go straight for air traffic. Yeah. For me, it's always been air traffic. Uh, I think pilots, they have such an awesome job. But for me, I just knew it wasn't it wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to go out and be able to – I'm still a kid when I drive out to the airport. I'm always slowing down around the perimeter road of the airport, and I'm watching the planes coming in. I'll slow down on purpose when I know the plane's going to fly right overhead for the runway. Um... So, I mean, it's, it's more of the – the love of it and I never wanted to lose it yeah but with a pilot it's life it just it sounds like it's a pirate's life but it's not a pilot's <laughs> life <laughs> the pilot's life just was not for me I just now imagine all the pilots wearing like eye patches the eye patch and then like a little bandana on the yeah. head and earring um no I just decided that it just had never really crossed my mind as it was a career path for me I knew that eventually in my life that I was gonna want to have a family and I didn't want to be a week or two weeks on the road and then finally come back for a couple of days, turn around for the, that lifestyle. I just didn't want to be away. Yeah. So. Well, we have a buddy who's a, a pilot and, mm. um, same, you're explaining exactly like we play with Xbox with him. And so yeah. we catch up with him pretty often when, cause he's always at hotels and things like that when he's in between. I think I talked about this on the podcast or two ago, but it's weird hearing him saying he has to commute to work yeah. cause his main hub right now is Denver. Oh yeah. yeah. And he lives in Arizona. Yep. So when I think of commute, I'm like, oh, you got to drive to, uh, you know, wherever. But he's like, no, 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 I got to fly to Denver yeah. to start my shift. Yeah, his yeah. rush hour is completely different. Yeah, it just sounds weird. <laughs> it's It sounds really weird. Like, yeah. I got to commute through the sky to get to my job. Yep. So, yeah, but he's gone a lot. I always tease him. Sometimes I try to tease him. He's really hard to tease. But uh, he just bought a house and whatnot. And I'm like, you can't even enjoy it, dude, because you're yeah. freaking, uh, you're always gone. But obviously there's perks as well to being a pilot and whatnot. Oh, there are. So. But, but yeah, I got a lot of friends that are all in the airlines that I got to, I've been able to get to know, and then some that I've known from before I became a controller. And you listen to where their home base is or where they're where they have to commute to. Or, yeah, and it's just it's hard. I can't imagine that you know to start work, you first have to fly four hours to get to start it. That's weird. Yeah. So. People complain about their half-hour commute here on the freeway. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, flight attendants are the same thing. They have yeah. they're they're based in other cities, and they'll live. You know, there's flight attendants that live here, and they're based out of Seattle. And they're not even from wait, because sometimes usually your base. No, you're not usually based where you live. Some not yeah. necessarily sometimes, yeah. right? Yep. So that's crazy. So then sometimes people are based in Salt Lake, but they're not even from here. But do that, does that mean that most of the time, like they get hotels here or like apartments or? Um, depends kind of what their situation is. Most people that are, if they're based here and they're not from here, they'll probably just stay home and wherever that is. Like if it's, they're from Seattle and then they'll just, and they'll just fly down. Okay. They'll do the same thing. Crazy. Um, so then you get into college. Where did you go to? I went to the, well, you were already at slick Salt Lake community, but then you went to a university. Yep. I just did my generals here Mm -hmm. and obviously started my aviation 
you know, endeavors here. Background and whatnot. Yep. I had done concurrent enrollment in high school. I went to Brighton. Go Bengals. Is that where it's, they call it, nickname it middle college? Kind of. Where you can do, you're doing college courses at the same time as yeah. high school. That's the nickname they gave in California yeah. was middle college. Yep. And so they just gave it the name concurrent enrollment here. And yeah. You'd pay like 40 bucks and you'd get the college credit for it. So then you'd already like be advancing. Yeah. Because we have one friend who... Uh, he did middle college, air mm-hmm. quotes, and he, by the time he got back from his religious excursion, as I like to call it, yeah. <laughs> from South Korea, he only had to do like, I think, a year, and he was done with his bachelor's because yeah. he'd done so much schooling yeah. in the community college, plus his first year or two, he for like sure. advanced like crazy. Was that the same for you, kind of? Yeah. I mean, it was, I always thought it was kind of ridiculous that people wouldn't sign up for the concurrent yeah. enrollment cl- like courses. I'm like, you're in the class. All I got to do is pay 40 bucks and- you get the college credit for it, so by the time you leave high school and you start college, then you already got a leg up. Yeah, you got almost a semester in the books mm-hmm. worth of credits at least. Yeah, but yeah, I did that. Did a couple of courses in high school, but I knew that Slick wasn't going to provide me with everything that I needed. They provided me with what I needed for here. Yeah, but for my long term goal, of being a controller, nowhere in the state had what I needed. I knew I just had to leave. So, which is ironic because there's an airport there. Yeah, but it doesn't mean because I mean there's not a very many. There used to not be as many flight schools. There's flight schools popping up all over the place now. Uh, okay. Like UVU is huge. Oh, yeah. UVU is a big one. They yeah. got that little airplane statue out to yep. one of the parts of the school when I was going there. Yeah. So they're they're a huge program now. It, it was a slow start, but they've they've gotten really big really quick. Uh, um, so we work with them daily. But I decided that I was going to go to some place that was so amazing that was just going to blow everybody away. And it was just going to freeze. So I decided to go to North Dakota. I went to the University of North Dakota is up in Grand there? Forks, freezing. Like, how cold does it get in North freezing. Dakota? It was minus. The worst I had was, well, we'll just start out with the consistent, like, winter for yeah. North Dakota is, like, minus 30 to minus 40. Ugh. So, and that's just, like, average. You wake up, that's just what it is. It's no longer, it's cold, but it's, like, a pain. Yeah. It's just, why do I live here? That's yeah, what yeah, you yeah. would literally wake up every day. It's like, why do I live here? And how long do their winters last compared to like here in Utah? It's not actually not too much different from us. It just um, gets freaking It's just way cold. This is so far north. You don't realize that being at the very northern edge of North Dakota where it's like you should basically be have Canadian citizenship. Yeah. You're just, it's too cold. But minus 30, minus 40. And the worst winter I had was minus 76 with wind chill. <laughs> Oh, that's disgusting. I have felt wind chill, obviously not negative yeah. 70. Yeah. Because when I was in Philadelphia, the humidity causes the wind chill. Yep. So even though it'd be like 30 degrees outside, yeah. they say, oh, it feels like 15. Yeah. And that wind, when it's that cold, it feels like a freaking sword. Yeah. When on the complete opposite end, if you've ever been in like a hot state like parts of California or Arizona, the when it's like 110 degrees, the wind feels like thick and yes. like hot like a hairdryer. Well, that's the crazy thing about North Dakota is you have the crazy winter yeah. that just feels like it's never going to end because it's so cold. And then as soon as they get to like zero, you see all the students out around campus wearing shorts because zero all of a sudden feels like a tropical heat wave. Kind of like here, yeah. 40 or 50 degrees feels like yeah. good. It just is like, oh, this is great. Yeah. But when it finally hits spring and they transition to summer, you're now dealing with like 90 degrees. And like 100% humidity. Oh. So you go from one end of the spectrum to the other. Yeah. And then the mosquitoes that come out are the size that like come and pick you up and they fly you somewhere to suck your blood. <laughs> They're so big. But 
it's just yeah so philly has a spectrum like that but obviously not as extreme yeah it does get really cold in the winter i remember the first time i encountered was a freezing rain yeah and like all the uh trolley lines were like frozen and they canceled church because it was just they couldn't a lot of people couldn't get to church because of a lot of people took public transportation yeah uh, but yeah, and then it gets freaking hot where it's like 100 with like 100% humidity, yeah. but it doesn't, it's so the the, uh, the extremes are there, but not as in, insanely extreme as North Dakota sounds. No. Wait, North- does, is North Dakota or South Dakota that has uh Fargo? No, that's, no, that's, <laughs> Fargo is, um where's that at? That's, that's North Dakota. North, is North Dakota? Yeah. I thought it was. I uh, live north of Fargo, so if you watch the movie Fargo. Yeah. And it looks miserable, then drive an hour and a half north of that, and then that's where Grand Forks is oh. where I lived. I thought um I thought it was Minnesota. No. The full Fargo, so it's kind of interesting. Well, the TV Fargo, show they do Minnesota, I think, because they all have that Minnesota accent. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, don't you betcha. Yeah. Um, they've got Grand Forks, which is split right down the middle by the Red River. Okay. So it's Grand Forks, North Dakota, and then you have East Grand Forks, Minnesota. Oh, so like right so there. So Fargo is split, but instead of calling it East Fargo, Minnesota, they call it Moorhead. So it's Fargo, Moorhead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Just to kind of blend them together. Yeah. That's funny. But their claim to fame is that's where the only Olive Garden is in the state. So well, that's Olive where Garden, we used to go. No. It's like, that was <laughs> like exciting for us as students. I have a, I, I can go on a rant about Olive Garden because last time I went, it wasn't that good. But yeah. I have a theory that a lot of these restaurants are kind of going downhill as far as like their, uh, I feel like a lot of them are using like frozen food and just heating it up. I mean, what Applebee's said that they went out best because of millennials. Yeah. And then <laughs> Chili's isn't as good. Like anyone you talk to about Olive Garden, again, I don't mean to offend you if you like Olive Garden, no. but every time I ask somebody, do you like Olive Garden? What do you like there? They're like, uh, soup, salad, breadsticks. It's breadsticks, man. That's the only thing they like. <laughs> it's all any, about I the breadsticks. Hear, I, hear, uh, I can't even talk. I never hear anyone else talk about anything else on the menu, soup, salad, breadsticks. I'm like, yeah. so that's the only thing they're known for? That's the only thing yeah. they're good for? So I don't know. Texas Roadhouse, though. Oh. They're still good. I rolls, still feel like that restaurant is- That's cinnamon butter. Yes. Give me a full basket and- that butter and I'm done. Yeah. Do you think they have Texas roadhouses in Texas? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't think they would. It'd probably be offensive to them because they have a lot of legit barbecue and smokehouses. I don't think I would go to Texas roadhouse in Texas. (laughs) 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 So then you decide to go to North Dakota. Yep. Is it because there's a good school there? You just wanted to shock everybody like I'm going to go to the middle of nowhere. No. So when I finally started looking at the schools that I needed to go to or what I needed to do to complete the training to become a controller uh-huh. there was 10 schools in the country that offered a civilian route into air traffic control the other the other option was military okay and so i chose the civilian route and so i looked at this list of 10 schools and i always knew that i would never graduate without a bachelor's degree and two of the schools offered bachelor's degrees the other eight were associate degree programs Oh, so you needed, you wanted that bachelor's degree. Yeah, I wanted the bachelor's. So the schools I had to choose between were Grand Forks, North Dakota, the University of North Dakota, Uh and the University of Alaska Anchorage. That's probably just as worse, or it's just as bad as far as the weather goes. Well, for me, I actually really wanted to go to Alaska because I'm a huge skier. I love the mountains Uh, and all that lifestyle. So I did everything I could to persuade my mind to think that Alaska was great. Yeah. So my dad being the person that he is, was like, well, we don't want to make a decision based on something we haven't seen. Yeah. And this is a career, so we want to make sure that you get the best out of, you know, whatever school you go to. So the only thing we can do is go visit and figure it out. 
And so, this is an Anchorage, Anchorage? Yeah, it's an Anchorage. Okay. So we went to North Dakota first, and we were completely blown away. And we knew that it was like the top aviation school in the country, if not the world. That's so weird that like the top it's, aviation is in North Dakota. It's world renowned. Like it's absolutely incredible what they have. The yeah. amount of money in their aviation program is bar none to anyone else. It's just amazing. That's crazy. Their simulators for air traffic were unbelievable. The the staff were all retired military as well as civilian controllers and I mean you just had every resource there to become you know, good at what you wanted to do and yeah. make sure that you really had the help in areas that maybe you needed a little extra help with. Like you had everything there. So went to school up there, saw it and was like, okay, this is really hard to walk away from and think that I could potentially turn my back on this. But I was still hopeful that when I went to Alaska, I was going to see something just as good. If not better. If not better uh. to justify that I was going to go to Alaska versus North Dakota. Yeah. Because there's a huge difference in scenery with oh, North yeah. Dakota. It's <laughs> wait, either wait. plains yes. or mountains. That's what I was going to ask. Is it the, um, freak, what the heck? Mount Rushmore. Is South that, Dakota. That's South Dakota. Yeah. Okay. We drove to Mount Rushmore on the way to North Dakota. Okay. And then it just got downhill from there very quickly. <laughs> we saw where they filmed Dancing uh, Dance with Wolves. That is one of so my favorite movies. So that was like a highlight on the way. Yeah. And then after that, it was like, all right, it's just corn everywhere. Because yeah, where they filmed Dance with Wolves, it's a lot of hills, yep. right? And a lot of plains. Yep. But then it just got flat after that. Yep. You're still, they filmed in South Dakota. Okay. So there was a huge stop. There was big signs that said, stop here. This is where Dance with Wolves was filmed. So we stopped because we're good tourists like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you get to the the desk and they wanted like 40 bucks a person to go take a tour. And we're like, well, we'll watch the movie because... <laughs> We own it, <laughs> and we're pretty much looking at it right now, so yeah. we're good. Yeah, So we, we just continued on. I'll go uh, use my $40 somewhere else. Seriously. Was it like a – it wasn't state-owned, that little touristy spot, was it? No, I think it was just kind of a private okay. company or something going on out there, but it was – it was very legit, a huge tour stop because it was probably of, the only thing for hours. Yeah. Do they have a bunch of pictures of like the on the set behind the scenes of Dance with yeah, the Wolves as well? Yeah, it was just, it's kind of like a, just you had all the pictures, you had yeah. memorabilia, the costumes, that kind of stuff that were there. But we didn't go any further than the front desk. We just turned around, got back in the car, and started our caravan up. There you go. So yeah, that's basically all I have to yeah. do. Just look at the scenery and be like, all right, I'm good. Yeah, that's all you needed. So then you go to. So you, do you end up going to Anchorage? Yeah. So we went up to Anchorage and we took a look at the school. And when we got in there, it was the first time that you know it's the middle of the day and it's still dark outside and oh, yeah. there's all that weird stuff going on. So we landed up going through the school did the tours we so we got in like way late we did a direct flight out of salt lake up to anchorage and the next morning we woke up we thought it was morning but it still looked like when we just went to bed and that's what it looked like the rest of the day oh so what was the lighting like was it it was just it wasn't dark but it was it was almost like dusk so like almost like uh like around summertime when it gets around seven o'clock yeah it's still bright outside but the sun's almost yeah and maybe even a little bit darker than that but we went to the school and we went and visited the, obviously the main thing was to go visit the aviation campus, which is separate from the school. Yeah. It was over at an airport called Merrill Field up there, if anyone's familiar with that. But went up there, we went and took a look at the school and we were not impressed with what we saw. Um, no offense to UAA, they're a great school, it just wasn't for me. And so we opted to call the, the main campus and we canceled. 
everything for tours. So you found out pretty quickly yeah. that you're like, this isn't, it was less, this isn't the place. It was less than a half day. It was just, I remember looking at my dad and saying, I'd be lying to you that said that this place was better for me. Yeah. And it just wasn't. It wasn't the fit for me. And I know it was a fit for some people because it's still a great school. A lot of controllers go through there. But it just wasn't for me. Yeah, maybe it was the lighting. It could be. Maybe it totally was. <laughs> it was a different now time that I of think year. About it, it's like I just love my sleep, so yeah. I just want to be sleepy. So all you time. went to sleep and then woke up and it was the exact same lighting, exact basically. Same. That's freaking just, weird. And then they make sure because it is that kind of time of the year where it's still light outside during the middle of the night because of that. They have like the craziest blackout blinds, or else you'd never sleep. Oh uh, yeah. But yeah, my was, dad did a a very cheap way of doing that. Yeah. He hated light coming in his room, and his bedroom faced the back of the house. Mm-hmm. And he put um, tin foil up on their windows. Oh, I've seen that one. <laughs> yep, people but still do that. He one. justified that no one would see it because it's the back of the house. Yeah, but now they have they're up here in Utah and they have better blinds. Luckily, but yeah. that's what he had on his because blackout forever. curtains are so cheap now. Amber and I have them in our room. It's just that's yeah. the only way I can sleep when I have to work in the mid shift. Yeah, luckily I live in the basement, so yeah. it's dark here all that the time. That makes it nice. Which sucks because I could sleep a lot longer than I should. Yeah. But, um, so you're going to school, you get your bachelor's degree from the North Dakota. Yep, What's the it. name of the university? University of North Dakota. So UND. UND. Yep. That's a lot easier to say than UAA. Yeah. So then you get there and then what you like, you're done, you got your bachelor's, like then, then yep. where do you go from there? Do you go so back I to was Utah? Only up, yeah. I was only up for about a year and a half, got my bachelor's up there and. Oh, cause of all the schooling you. Schooling I had done before. Endured, I was only, yeah. had only needed to do a year at slick and some kind of cross courses that I had done at both schools uh-huh. put me, I graduated from slick actually while I was still in North Dakota is when they actually did the commencement. So I missed my walking at slick, but then less than a year later I was graduated from UND. And so after that, they just kind of told you it was kind of a really weird time because they hadn't started hiring air traffic controllers in a long time. What year is this when you graduated? It was 06, 2006. Okay. So they landed up saying that um, if you were graduated from the program and you were trying to become a controller, if after two years after your graduation date you weren't hired as a controller, you were no longer eligible to be a controller. What? Which we thought was really crazy. But we also knew that all they were going to be hiring controllers really, really soon. Yeah. And so I had to actually land up putting myself into a really good spot by going through school as fast as I did and being graduated and just literally waiting. As soon as I graduated, we were pretty much ready to get hired. Just to pounce. It was just, just a matter of the FA. Like the school took care of a lot of the paperwork for us. They put us into the hiring database. That's cool. And then they kind of expected us. They started teaching us how to, we got an, we got a waiver after I graduated said, okay, no more of the two year and you're done. If you land up getting to two years and you're not hired, you can fill out a waiver for every year until you're 31. And then when you hit 31, then you're no longer eligible. Uh, so it's like almost like a waiver that would just give you an extension. Yes. Until... So it's just like filing extensions to make yourself eligible. And if that's what you still want to do and you hadn't been hired yet. But I, I went back home to Salt Lake and moved back in with my parents and got a job with a family friend. And my brother was my boss. Uh-huh. And so it was a lot of fun. We nice. had a good time for that summer. And then maybe six months at most after I had gotten back to Salt Lake, I had my first offer letter showing that I had been hired. I'd been selected to become a controller. I was supposed to go to Las Vegas and work in McCarran International. Okay. 
and then I hadn't heard anything. And it was kind of, I was excited about it because I'm really happy with McCarran. I've, Vegas is almost like a second home to our family. We have a second home down there. Oh, cool. So we always go down there. So I was familiar with the, the city, loved the city, so I was ready to go. And then just before Christmas of 06, they called and said, don't plan on anything. We actually filled the slot with someone else. So you're back in the hiring pool. So oh, I was like, oh, what sucks. is going on? So I landed up calling him like once a week and just being like, hey, heard anything? Oh. Am I going anywhere? I'm like, do I have a job yet? <clears throat> the termination. Yeah, do you, do you, need, a, do you need a controller? Because I'm ready and eligible. And I remember picking up the phone one day and I was at work and I was on a break and the same lady answered that she did every week and she's like, well, I got news for you. I was like, great, what is it? Where am I going? She's like, you're going to the Honolulu Control Facility. Dang. And so I always kind of expected somewhere in my career that Honolulu was going to, Hawaii was going to be someplace that I went to. And Oh, is that why your Instagram handles Hawaii Skier? That's it. Because you like Hawaii and then you also like skiing. Yep. The mystery has been solved. There it is. You put the two and two <laughs> together and bam, Instagram names. There you go. So so then this was 2006, 2007, then you get the yep. job to go work at in, 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 in Hawaii. Honolulu, yeah. That's so crazy. I got the... A really awesome facility. I worked in Honolulu for just about three and a half, four years and loved it. Absolutely loved it. And I had the full intent to pretty much plant my roots and never leave. Yeah. And it was just, it's a very, very laid back lifestyle. Mm -hmm. It was an awesome facility with great people to work with. And you got to see a lot of awesome stuff on an aviation perspective with all the types of commercial carriers come from all around the world, yeah. getting them from the Orient, from the South Pacific, the huge wave of American tourists coming over to Hawaii. You see, see everything there. You see everything. And so, and then you get to see a whole bunch, a whole bunch of uh, military. Oh, it's yeah. It's a huge establishment out there. So we get to do a lot of work for the military. So it was a really cool experience in Hawaii. So it. then, um, crap, what was I going to say? I've never been to Hawaii. Got to go. But uh, I know, that's what everyone says. I don't really like the beach, though. And there's a lot of beaches in there, Hawaii. Yeah, there are. <laughs> so I'm scared to death of sharks. I don't like that. And I know from my shark week days yeah. as a don't kid. Don't go to Eva Beach then. We go to where? That. Eva Beach. Eva Beach? Yeah. Which island is that off of? Um, that's on Oahu. So What's wrong with Eva cool, Beach? Cool, funny story about it, though. My sister came and lived with me for a, a summer. A um, Lived with me for like a summer uh -huh. just because I was in Hawaii. And it's like, well, when are you also going to be able to live in Hawaii for three months and just be able to kick it back? Yeah. So... Well, I worked. My sister just hung out, chilled. But on Mondays and Tuesdays before I went to work, we would go to the beach. And I lived in a town called Eva Beach. And there's a beach down there called Eva Beach. Yeah. So it was the closest one. So we would go down there and just go hang out before I went to work just so that she had a chance to kind of get out and go do something fun before I went and worked the night shift. Yeah. Um, so, and we love Shark Week. We're huge shark fans. Yeah, I am too. So I'm scared to death that's of them. like, yeah, it's it's on the calendar every year. You just don't miss Shark Week. Yeah. And so here we are in Hawaii, living in an island, and they're talking about tiger sharks yep, and tiger all sharks. this crazy stuff. And they said they were going to do the countdown of you know top shark attack beaches all around the country and around the world when it comes to tiger sharks. And it went from like five and then finally got down to like two and surprised to hear, you know, a lot of them are kind of over on mainland, over in the Caribbean area. Yeah. 
And then all of a sudden they're like, number one, like shark attack spot, Eva Beach, Hawaii. <laughs> and we just stopped and like threw down everything. And we just looked at each other and we're like, we swim at that beach every, like, every week, yeah. two or three times a week. And, and they, the tiger sharks swim in like, like super shallow water. Super shallow water and super murky water. Yeah. Which is Eva Beach to the max. Really? So it makes complete sense. So it's not like the clear blue that you see in other parts of Hawaii? No, no. Yeah, because there's videos of like, you probably seen them like the tiger sharks come up and eating the seagulls. Yep. And then tiger sharks, the way their teeth are serrated, like they're the only shark that can bite a turtle shell in half. Yep. So yeah, not the funnest thing I assume to get eaten by, but. Yeah. So we could safely say we never went back to Eva Beach oh, after really? Shark Week. Yeah. So Shark Week scared, they uh, ruined your experience. They educated us. Yeah. <laughs> was <laughs> they there made any, it safe. Was there any shark attacks, though, while you were there that you'd heard about? No, none that I was there. There was always shark sightings. Uh, um, that, so that's pretty common. Yeah. And then there was, just before I left, there was a, a whale. I moved to a town called Kaneohe over on the northeast side of Oahu. Uh -huh. And in the bay, just before I left, a uh, there's just tons of humpback whales during like the winter season. Uh, okay. And one just decided that I swam back to Hawaii from Alaska and rolled over and called it quits on life. <laughs> so bloated up. <laughs> and so then, uh, and it's very rare, but now I know they just spotted another one just a few weeks back. And it's Ocean Ramsey. Give her a shout out on Instagram. She's a huge shark activist, but she, they found out that Something was going on with this bloated whale. And this is just on the surface of the water? Yeah, he's just floating. Yeah. Because there's like sometimes? so much gas in them when they die, so yeah. they just blow it up and they float like crazy until they finally decompose or animals come and eat them. And yeah, pop, I've seen videos of great white them. sharks like biting at them and stuff like that. Yeah. It's basically a free dinner. Yeah. So this is what happened. This is exactly what happened was a great white shark was spotted eating this dead whale. Jeez. And it has been the first sighting in a long time. And then I guess maybe it was a couple months ago, same thing happened dead whale and they were out there and great white shark showed up so it was the first great white shark uh it wasn't the first sighting they first just said sighting. it's really rare to see him go out there but Hawaii, this shark they just saw just a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago has been spotted and tracked all along like the coast of mexico so it made the journey from out there over so it's to smelled that Hawaii. Well from a long ways away well, like i think it just there's some kind of current like food current trail yeah. of all these fish and kind of garbage that these like sharks and animals are falling out towards Hawaii now because it's a little bit warmer water. Yeah. And so they're obviously finding a way to survive the long swim from, you know, the California coast or the Mexican coast and get oh, out to Hawaii. Freaking Hawaii, yeah. Because yeah. I think isn't great white sharks are, they're more in cold waters, right? Usually. Uh, usually, yeah. Like California and then Australia, they're a freaking yeah. big problem over I there. I went and dove with great whites in Australia. Whoa, wait, when you say dove, yeah. were you in the cage? I was in the cage. Okay. Yeah. Because when I started seeing videos when I got older where they started, people could get ballsy enough to like, swim outside the cage and yeah, hold would, their dorsal fin? I would not free dive with those things. No. I've never, I don't even know if I could go in the cage. No, that's surreal, man. Really? It's, it's unbelievable. Do they come and bite the cage? They, yeah, they'll drag, <gasps> the, the company we went with is a huge company with Discovery Channel and they'll drag like bait fish and they'll chum the water. They're allowed to chum the water. They're the only company down there. You go out to the Neptune Islands south of, uh, what is, I'm trying to remember what, Port Lincoln, Australia is uh, where okay. you have to go out of. And uh, if anybody's looking to go, Calypso Charters, that's the one. Calypso Charters. Calypso Charters is the one to do out of Port Lincoln. It's like for, a company that takes you out to yeah. do Yeah, and like I said, diving? Discovery Channel and all the big like companies that go out there and do the filming, 
they use these uh, Calypso to go out there for their for their charters for their like for the filming for the episodes. Okay. Yeah, and so and they're allowed. To, they're the only ones allowed to chum the waters. Yeah, they're the only company that's allowed to chum the water. Some of the other companies that go out to the Neptune Islands will try to park their boats somewhat close because they'll try to use the chum that's they're throwing out the fish guts and the blood. Yeah, and hope that it kind of shifts over towards their so cages. So look at the perks of a uh, yeah. other company. But we went out there, and man, it's like these great whites that just come right in front of you. And when you see it in TV, that their huge black eyeball yeah. looks like it's just stationary. Uh-huh. But when it comes right in front of you, and you just see that thing just moving all around, and it's looking you up and down, oh, it just is a crazy experience. That's but it's so freaky. rad. Yeah, I couldn't do that. Yeah. How big is the eyeball? No one's gonna see this, but for my yeah. sake. Yeah. I mean, it's literally. Oh, it's like that. He's like, if anyone wants to know, Patrick held up his hands and it was like the size of a baseball. Yeah, pretty much. That's freaky. Ugh, I couldn't do that. I'm uh, my wife. My mom would always say, uh, but John, you, you shouldn't be scared of sharks because if you've ever gotten bit, they'd realize that you have no meat and they'd spit you right back out. But I'm like, mom, if I got bit <laughs> and they spit me back out, like I'd be dead still because of all the damn blood that it would yeah. be like released from my body and I'd be no use to anybody anyway. So exactly. Anyway, this is her way of trying to comfort me, but it didn't really work. Yeah. Um, Bless her heart, so they try. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. So that was a nice little tangent, but it was good. Yeah. So you lived in Hawaii for three years, and then you make your way back to yep. Salt Lake. Yep. And you've been there ever since? I have. So what year did you get back? That would have been like... I moved back in 2010. 10. 10? Yep. Okay. I've, I've been here. I've lived here since 2011, the end of 2011. Okay. So, so then kind of... Now that you're an air traffic controller, yeah. you're back in Utah. Like, what's the day to day? Like, what's your job? Like, how does it? Go? I mean, I don't know how much detail you can get into without getting in trouble. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely informatory for you know. It's good for everybody to know the information behind it because we're we're an entity of aviation which people do not see. Yeah, they see the tower, but I don't. I've never the worked. Are all, the windows are all blackened out. All blacked out. Yeah. Which is funny because when you get up there, they're actually not blacked out at all. They're the clearest windows ever. It's just we pull shades. They have a whole bunch of shades in the tower that you can pull down because you're exposed to so much light and sun. Oh yeah. So Reflections you sometimes from the have to pull those things down just so that you can be able to clearly see out the windows. Um, and it just, especially on sunsets and sunrises, there is oh, so yeah. they are so bright up there. But if you ever want to see like the prettiest sunrise or the prettiest sunset, as you go to Salt Lake Tower and you watch that sunset over the mountains, that's cool. But it's it's unbelievable. But for us, it's pretty much the hard part for us is that we don't we we're not seen. When you go to the airport and you go fly somewhere, you're gonna see the ticket. You know, TSA people, the TSA, who look you know, like the gate they're pissed agents. to be there because <laughs> yeah. it's not the most glamorous it's, job. It's not the most glamorous job, but their job they do is so important. Yeah, and, I mean after that shutdown thing, I mean there's a lot of respect that needs to be given to them. Um, but they, you see, you know the pilots sometimes at the gate. Yeah, they're all like and they got their nice captain suits on, yep. their hats, and so they got the flight attendants. You see so much visual at the airport. So if something happens or this or that, it's just. Those are the people that kind of take the, you know, the fact that people can see them. They they relay them as, as what aviation is. The, yeah. the pilots, the gate agents. You look out the window, you see the plane you're about to get on, but without controllers, these planes don't move anywhere. Yeah. And so, but you just don't see us. And so, some airports, the air traffic facilities are co-located, but a lot of the air traffic facilities are detached from the terminals. So, yeah, because sometimes I've seen towers are like pretty far off. Yeah, they're not like super close to where you would board your plane. Yep, 
and it's uh, it's all for safety and security. Yeah, makes so sense. So it's like if anything were to happen, it's like planes can still be safely managed if you know anything out there were to go wrong. Yeah. So it's all for safety to kind of keep those two apart. But with the fact that you know when you sit down on the plane and the plane starts moving, right from the moment that that jetway pulls away from the plane, controllers are are already starting to work of a team of it could be up to 25 controllers to move you across the country 25 to move one plane to move one plane so i mean it's not all at one time but it's just you'll go to a controller and to another controller to another controller and all these different segments of flight so as That's soon as you push back that flight plan and everything that teamwork that takes place to manage that one plane from salt lake to fly out to atlanta is it's unbelievable and then you look at what how many planes are in the sky yeah you just it's crazy. Well, that's another thing because when I think of air traffic or I think when anyone thinks of air traffic, unless they've talked to someone like you, yeah. you don't see really any other planes when you're in the sky. Nope. First off, you can't because your windows are so small, but the actual there is actual traffic in the oh, sky, yeah. but the planes are flying above each other, below each other. Yep. I remember my buddy, I won't say his name just in case he gets in trouble, but <laughs> he was uh, he Snapchat, I think, because they have a lot of downtime when the, the plane's just kind of going. Because like, there's the, there's yeah, the captain. Yeah, when you're flight. Yeah, a cruise yeah. flight, they can kind of just chill. And he took a freaking Snapchat of a plane that was above them. He's like, we're going to beat you Southwest or something like yeah. that. And I'm like, how the freak do you have time to do this? And second, that's the first time my mind wrapped my head, uh, my brain wrapped around the fact that there are multiple planes in the sky yeah. at the same time. It's just, you don't think about it, like you said, until you're in that kind of headspace or that exactly. job. Yep. So then 25 people have to work to get one plane off the ground. Yeah, it just depends on how long the route is. Yeah. Um, Obviously, it'd be maybe less. Yeah, is the it closer less people if it's like to Vegas or something? Yeah, there's just not as many facilities or what we call airspace that it's got to fly through. So you're not flying the the shorter the distance, you're not going to work through as many controllers, and depends on how those facilities are broken up. So yeah, it for us we have nine different positions to work, and it just breaks up. We work uh, from Brigham City all the way down to just north of Nephi, and then we work, so it's pretty much 60 miles north to south, Yeah, maybe a little bit more than that, and then you work about, it's probably about 60 miles east to west, so, so you get 30 like miles radius. east. Yeah. So it's it's a lot. I would probably say we're probably looking more of the scale, like 100 miles north to south and about 60 miles east to west, so we're, we're more of a rectangular airspace in here, but we work everything from student pilots that are out there doing their very first flight, learning to fly for the very first time. We talk to them. Yeah. And, you know, it's this is a scary moment, you know, keying up on the frequency for the first time, trying yeah. to sound like all the other professional pilots that are out there. And, I mean, it's the same thing. I was I went through it, so I have a lot of respect for it. Mm -hmm. And then when I go from, you know, being a controller for the first time, it was a whole different experience because now I'm keying up the radio from a different side of the whole operation. Yeah. So that nervousness and that voice, that shaky voice is all over again. But, but from a different perspective. Completely different, different perspective. Job. But it makes me appreciate what I had and how I got yelled at the very first time I was a pilot when I would, I, I attempted to, to key and talk to air traffic control for the first time. Uh -huh. I had keyed up and did my, my check-in, thought I had just nailed it. It was probably the slowest, longest thing ever because I was doing it off a checklist on my knee, yeah. on my kneeboard, board. And next thing I know, I unkeyed and I looked at my – instructor who was also a really good friend of mine and wanted to give him like a high five on the plane like yeah i did that did you hear that like nailed like it. reading it all off to yeah the it was traffic. just like it was perfect and it was long and lengthy and then it'll get better but 
the nervousness is gone because I finally keyed up and yeah. I, I actually t- I actually spoke. And the f- as soon as I came off the frequency, the controller yelled at me saying, "I stepped on another airplane. You're you know you're not on, you're not clear to enter this airspace." Oh yeah, phrase stepped on another airplane like I overkeyed. Oh. I overkeyed someone, but the funny you thing is when he said out. when he said that I had stepped on someone, me and my nervousness actually started to kind of rock my wings in my plane to see who I had actually stepped on underneath me. Like that's what he meant. And oh, then I quickly you thought realized, he, like you were in the other actually physically in another plane space. Yeah, like I had I had never seen the plane that was like coming underneath me or whatever it was at, but I thought that's what he meant was that there was a plane underneath me and I had stepped on him. But you just he just meant you but cut him off I, I for checking in. Someone on somewhere else in the frequency. Uh, but I was just like I just remember turning to my instructor and said I will never ever treat a pilot like that. Yeah. It's um, kind of like, I mean, obviously on a smaller scale, but it's like when you go to, to do customer service, like for me, I've worked a ton of customer service yeah. jobs. So when I'm going to restaurants or when I'm going to um, like eat at fast food place, whatever it is, I try to be as most polite as possible. And I try to like clean up my mess and I don't leave a mess. I like try to, I sometimes clean up their soda area when I'm yeah. like, cause I understand that it sucks being yelled at when your order's wrong or people leaving a mess. I remember when I was 17, my first job was Subway. Yeah. And yeah, these, Subway. I got these sandwiches wrong. Cause I, I, they was too confusing. And these grown freaking adults who were probably like in their late thirties, early forties, like left a giant mess on mm-hmm. purpose to prove a point. And I'm like, dude, I'm 17 and so I'm being more mature up. than you are. Yeah. So ever since then, like one of my biggest pet peeves is people I know, especially if I'm with them, mm-hmm. is if they're like rude to like yes. the servers. Cause I'm like, first off, they're uncomfortable because maybe it's their first night, you know, waiting these tables yep. and you rolling your eyes or you like being rude to them is not going to make it any better for them because now they're going to get more stressed out and then they maybe mess up something else. Yeah. So like, yeah, that's kind of similar. Like you said, you didn't, you didn't want to be a dick to when you were on the the air traffic side to talking to a pilot. No, I just felt like flying a giant plane. Like you don't want to (laughs) give them nerves while they're doing that. Yeah. I mean, we, we experienced all, all ranges of personalities, Mm -hmm. which is pretty interesting, but the important thing for us is to keep that level head because we are on the ground yeah. and we're not up in this other dimension in this huge piece of metal that's flying at, you know, 300, 400 miles an hour. And it's, they're doing something that defies gravity. They're doing yeah. something that defies the, you know, the laws of nature and their stress can be just as high as anyone else. Pun intended. Yeah. While they're up there. Seriously. So then talking about the stress, like, yeah. Is it super stressful? Because I remember when I first met you or when I, Amber, I knew your your wife first before I knew you, but I yep. joked with her that I was like, dude, don't date him because <laughs> they say that air traffic control is like the number one suicide rate for them because of how stressful their jobs yeah. are. Like on a more serious note, like, is it that stressful to where you could understand that someone would go that route with their life because it's so... I've heard stories. Um, but you never really I've personally... never been. I've never been around it. Yeah. For me, I don't get stressed by the job. Okay. I feel... The busier it gets, the more of the stoke I get off of doing the job. I just get super stoked about being able to make, you know, just all these planes that are coming in. And then for me to figure out, it's problem solving. It's instant problem solving how I'm going to sequence them in. And we do it all based on size of aircraft. Um, We use speed control. We use turns. We use altitudes. And we have to separate. Like when you see the planes coming in over the valley, lining up for the runways, they're not 
in random spots. That's all completely controlled. Which it looks like to us when we're yeah. on the ground on the freeway. Exactly. Just looking up. You're just like, okay, that one looks close, but this one looks like it's further apart. Yeah. But we're spacing it based off the size of aircraft that we're working. And there's all these certain intervals and all these different separation requirements that we have to separate by. And so everything that you see is done strategically. And yeah. it, was, it wasn't just by chance. It's all done by skill and by mastering the job which is a really cool thing to see. So it, for me, when I work a busy bank and I'm, I'm working all these planes to the runway and I see this really pretty line from the runway all the way out, mm. you know, I just, it's OCD to the max. Cause you're just like, satisfying. it's perfectly spaced and you're just like, yeah, I did that. So it's a huge, huge, I want to say sometimes like you almost have to kind of give yourself the pat on the back. Cause yeah. no one else really understands what it is that we do. And when you try to talk air traffic to a lot of people, they won't really understand it. So when they're like, hey, what's it like, what's it like to do in your job? You kind of just dumb it down as much as you can. Yeah, yeah. Just so that people can understand it from a, an easier perspective. Because if you get too far in depth, people are just like, I don't but know like, what you're duh. talking about. Like, what are you talking about? But it sounds I, fascinating. Yeah, and like you were saying earlier where we see the pilots, we see the flight attendants, mm-hmm. we see the planes, and like that's how it works. Yeah. Maybe this kind of popped in my head. Maybe obviously, well, obviously, we would appreciate air traffic control more if everyone flew their own individual plane like a car. Correct. Because with cars, we all understand traffic rules. Yeah. We have to take the test, and then we see literally see the traffic lights. Yes. You guys, on a very dumbed down level, air quotes are the traffic lights, and the pilots are the ones following those instructions. Correct. We just don't care about that, or we don't we take it for granted because we're not the driver of the car or the plane we just are the passenger the entire time and the the fact that we don't see the air quotes traffic lights we just see the tower like that's probably why you guys don't obviously like you said get that much credit because we don't see anything well i think too that you know obviously if you take off from salt lake the the tower is going to work you out to a certain extent but they can't see you from if you're going to fly to atlanta they don't see you as soon as you cross the ridge line over the cross the mountains off the wasatch front so who's taking charge of the plane then who's helping the pilots get from that point to the next airport. So it's literally this huge, massive team effort of controllers all across the country that makes it so that what we call, we guide you home safely. Yeah. Or we guide you on your vacation. We get you from point A to point B. We get businessmen and women, you know, from one meeting to the next. We get instant emergencies that pop up where people all of a sudden go into cardiac arrest. Oh yeah, while they're they stop plane, breathing. Huh? And it goes from a, a normal flight to an instant. I have to move. I have to make split second decisions about which planes I'm going to move and put this plane right into that spot. Get them on the ground as fast as possible. So you then communicate with other planes and like, hey, we have an emergency on this yep. plane. Like, you can you change coordinates and then you double check all of that to make sure they're safe to change directions. Yep. So it's like we just look at it and we we know what we're what we're allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do, based off of the fact that we're surrounded by mountains here so once you descend below twelve thousand feet here you can't turn anymore you're in the valley the only way out is up yeah you have to climb out so when we see these kind of emergencies come in sometimes we'll move planes out of the sequence and basically take them back up and put them at number last to let this guy come in and get on the ground really quick because the passenger in the back is unresponsive we've got paramedics on the ground waiting for the plane there's all sorts of work that goes into it but and then for us, people that's like, oh, that's maybe why a flight was delayed. Yeah. Or you had to make a U-turn. Oh, yeah. And then people who don't understand that just kind of give an eye roll, like, crap, I have to be to my meeting or I yeah. have to go with this. But it's, it could be a big thing that 
changed it or maybe it could just be small things like weather yeah i mean there's weather is a huge factor <laughs> and that's usually what the airlines will tell most people is that when you're at the gate and there's a delay they'll tell you that air traffic is you know it's an air traffic control delay and then that's when everybody finds out who we are because we're like oh air traffic control we hate them now yeah like they delayed us They're like, like we're not we're not gonna get there in four hours we're gonna get there in five hours with this delay and you're like i'm sorry like there's weather and you don't want to fly through that moderate and severe turbulence yeah so we're keeping you on the ground safe for a reason and then once it clears and we know that it's safe then we'll get you back on your way and we do the best we can to catch up lost time that's crazy yeah. so then if I understand this correctly, you said your your airport is over a certain airspace, like a rectangular airspace. Mm -hmm. Then once an airplane crosses over to another airspace, airspace like a jurisdiction for that airport, and those air traffic controllers take over. Yep. So everything like when you said your friends up at cruise flight. Yeah. So when you're at cruise flight, you're in what we call center environment. Okay. So we call them in route controllers. So you said center environment. Mm -hmm. So you're you're working the center, you're being worked by a center controller or a, an en route controller, and they deal with all of the, the cross country, the high level level flight stuff. Us, like when you're just crossing the United States and you, yep. you're just up there high just to cruise exactly. for a few hours? Yep, and they'll be up there and then you'll go through, there's, there's only so many centers because they cover such big areas of the country. Yeah. So you'll fly through several, what we call sectors between each center. So for example, Salt Lake Center, is huge. It's all around us. It goes all the way up to the border of Canada and just down to the southern border of Utah. Oh, wow. So, I mean, and it's huge. It covers almost all of Montana, Idaho, And Wyoming. a center or a sector is different than what the airspace that you're in charge yeah, of, Yeah. Right? So we only work the small area called borrowed airspace from a center because okay. I work what we call approach control and departure control. So I don't even work in a tower. I've never worked a tower, believe it or not. So after that story, I've never worked in a tower, but I go up in the tower on my brakes all the time. So oh. I still get my fill. Yeah. So I work radar. And so I do everything that takes you, I line you up for the runways and then I switch you to the tower five miles away. So then what do the people in the towers do if that's not what you do? The tower, what they do is they take the feed that I give them for the runway and I switch them to the tower controller at five miles away from the airport. Oh, And okay. then the tower clears them to land. Um, they'll clear the... You know, I'll have to give them intervals so that they can clear one to land. And then after he lands, they actually get a guy, uh, an aircraft out, and they depart an aircraft between two arrivals. So then we really don't see you guys because no. you're not even in the tower. Nope. So the tower, if I'm understanding correctly, those people generally are the ones who just kind of run the runway. They want, the they run the, the airport property, and then they usually have about five to 10 miles around the airport. That they're, that they're in charge for. of. You guys who aren't even in the tower are responsible for everything up in the sky. Yep. So we own, for example, for us, we have from ground until up to 23,000 feet. Oh. And so we work this small area and we just move planes in and out of Salt Lake airspace. We do stuff into Hill Air Force Base. We work very closely with the military. We work with um, Ogden. Yeah. Do all the stuff for Ogden. Students as well. Yep. Brigham City Airport, we work. Tooele Valley Airport, Airport Number Two, or the South Valley Regional Airport. And then we do uh, Provo and Spanish Fork. So, Provo, the big thing is all the UVU students out there. So, wow. we do so a then, lot. So, you said the centers mm -hmm. or the sectors. This one, the one that it, you're that we're in is goes from South Utah all the way up to Canada. Yeah. So, the Salt Lake Center goes from Southern Utah all the way up to the border of Canada. And then when these planes are going through these different sectors or the different centers, then you they basically 
transfer or check in with mm-hmm. different air controls from different regions. Yep. So a pilot will just check in, tell them that they're level at you know flight level three four zero. So that's thirty four thousand feet. Yeah. They'll check in to flight level three four zero. They'll usually report the ride up there because there's not a whole lot going on when you're level flight. They're just the plane is flying the autopilot for the route. Yeah. And if there's anything that they need to change or they need to adjust, the controllers there to adjust or to take them, help them assist them around weather or other airspace that might be Im- impacting their route. Uh-huh. So there's a whole bunch of things that actually alter what the flight plan that the airline filed for the for that flight. And the controllers are there to safely get them around weather or airspace problems or anything like that. So then let's say someone's flying from Utah to Seattle. Mm-hmm. Like they're going through and then once they hit those centers, like they're going to start communicating with different air control people. Yep. Then oh, crap. What was my question? Shoot. Um, I can't remember, but anyway, so they're basically, they get transferred from different yep. air controllers now. Oh, that's my question. When, so this is all done by radio, correct? Yes. So do they have to, do they automatically have to like quote air quotes dial into a certain frequency to talk to different ones? Yes. Yeah, so we tell them when to, switch from to leave our frequency to go to another one so that they're not get confusing with yep. which airspace and then in. they know that if for any reason that if i tell them to go to this frequency and they're not hearing anyone on there or they get told you're on the wrong frequency they'll always come back to where that last frequency was that they were actually they were on before the switch so uh, okay, to, so to validate know. hey maybe there was a misinterpretation or they actually dialed in the wrong number for the frequency but yeah once they get to a certain point we'll tell them you know for us we're Salt Lake approach and departure. So when we're ready to switch you out, we're switching you up towards, uh, you're gonna go up to Seattle. You're gonna be leaving our airspace. So I'll tell them to contact Salt Lake Center on on this frequency. Uh-huh. And then when they finally come back, they'll, they'll acknowledge, I'll take that frequency and they usually tell you good day. There's a salutation exchange. And then they they'll, talk switch to the over. Salt, they'll talk to Salt Lake Center. And then they'll switch over to and Seattle then, when they get to that Yep, area. so they'll go from Salt Lake Center, maybe a couple controllers through Salt Lake Center. And then eventually they'll be told, now contact Seattle Center on this frequency. So then they'll talk to Seattle Center. And then eventually, basically the same thing as what I do here at Salt Lake. They have the, the TRACON is what we call it up in Seattle. So they'll go from Salt Lake or Seattle Center to Seattle TRACON, uh, which okay. we call Seattle Approach. Yeah. So eventually they'll be told, contact Seattle Approach on whatever frequency it is. So basically what you guys do is air traffic controls when planes are going from center to center and, and all these things is you're basically just passing the baton on. Yeah. When these people, these pilots channel the different frequencies, they're basically just, you guys are just handing the plane along. Yep. That's insane. Yeah. And if you ever want to see what it looks like, you know, if you, you can even pull it up on, if you have Wi-Fi on your plane, you can actually see what what's around you or if you're just curious to see what the airspace looks like above the United States or anywhere in the world, there's an app called Flight Radar 24. Flight Radar 24. Yeah, and you can pull up, it'll show you every plane that's in the sky and how much we do as a combined team effort across this country. That's freaking crazy. That's, and then, It's a lot. Yeah, then to think about that, that, that just blows my mind and just sounds insane learning all the stuff that's just going on in the United States. And obviously just from, we were just giving examples of Salt Lake to Seattle. Yeah. But then you got to think about the whole world yep. has its own, all this stuff too. Yeah. And we all have, we have what we call our brothers and sisters throughout the world in each different country that does the same job as us. But we're very fortunate to be in the country that we are because we have the best equipment. We have, yeah. we, mind if I toot my own horn, but we have the best controllers in the world. 
that are they're working every single day and it's a 24-hour operation 365 days a year we yeah, don't get like holidays hotels yeah it's always open always when i worked at freaking hollywood video and they're open 365 days a year yeah i have a theory that's probably why they're closed because what dumb little, company would do that a little too much <laughs> yeah <laughs> no one needs freaking movies on christmas day yeah just buy them for your kids seriously netflix baby oh that's before well netflix oh, kind of shut them down sure did um last question before we switch over to the last topic yeah when you hear these people through the radio does it sound like a walkie-talkie or is it nowadays with technology is it like super clear it's pretty clear so it's like you're talking um, on the phone yeah there's it's pr- Maybe there's a time, but usually if we, we really encounter anything that's not really clear, it's with the smaller general aviation, just the private pilots that are out there because sometimes their equipment's not the best. Yeah. But even now, it's so rare to have a bad radio, but things happen, you know, malfunctions for the radio for them where it's just, they just need to go slap the radio or maybe yeah. get a wire tuned up on it or maybe it's just dying out and they need to exchange it. Same thing happens to us. But we have backups after backups on our radios so that if our main radio goes out, we've got a standby radio instantly. Uh, okay. So we would never, ever lose our ability to do the job. Okay. And we have other reserve frequencies. So if the main and the standby goes bad on one, then I can actually alt- I can alter to another frequency and continue on doing my job. I just have to get everybody over to that frequency. Uh-huh. Just so there's, over. There's, a, there's redundancies all over the place. Uh, okay. That's crazy. Um, last topic. Yeah. We only have a few minutes or we can go for a few minutes. You obviously work for the government. I do. Which I didn't get that. Like do all air traffic control? Is that a government institution? It's not all. Okay. Um, Cause I thought just assume that because you work at the airport or with the airport that you work for Salt Lake International. Nope. So airports are state owned. Um, okay. they're run state. So Salt Lake city down there, the mayor, she has a lot of the say as to what happens at the airport. They authorize what they want. Obviously, it's also hand-in-hand hand with the governor as well. Yeah, yeah. So they oversee the airport itself. It's run by the state. But the service, because of the nature of the business and for the nature of the job. The traveling and stuff. It's the majority of these major airports and these major facilities are all federal. Okay. Now, for an example, like Provo and Ogden, they're what we call privatized towers, and they're run by a company called Serco. Okay. But they abide by the same exact rules that we do. It's just they're being governed by a private enterprise versus the government. Yeah, so kind of compare it to like franchises and corporate. Yeah, kind like of. Like for restaurants, like yeah. franchises or like my wife's hotel, a lot of Marriott's are franchised. So a different company owns her Marriott, but yep. to keep the Marriott brand and the name on there, they have to still abide by all of the standards, yep. but it's not corporate owned by yeah. Marriott. Yeah, and just for an example, like Provo Tower and Ogden Tower have retired controllers that came from from my facility that are actually working those in the private sector now. Oh. So it's sometimes you have controllers that are that are trained in the private sector. They had never entered into the government side of it. And so now all of a sudden they're just like, well, like how did how do they become a controller? Well, they're still governed by the same rules and the same certification procedures and everything. So even though they're getting trained for that airport, they're still certified basically by the government. Uh, okay. So it's just they're being managed by a private company. Yeah. So. so then the government shutdown that happened, what, like two months ago? Yeah, in January. Is Obviously, you've been working as an air traffic control specialist for a long time. This yes. isn't the first government shutdown you've had no, to go through? No, it's not. 
So, like, what was that like? Because I, the only, I'll tell you my perspective. Yeah, go I was, on. I was pissed because I just had my <laughs> first daughter. Yeah. And I was like, dude, this is, this is the year where you get that giant tax return for yeah. having a kid. And I was super excited. I was being a little selfish, but you know what? Once you have kids, you'll, anyone who's listening, you'll understand, like, that extra two grand is super nice. Yeah. So that's what I was thinking. I'm like, what the freak? The government shut down? How am I going to get my tax return? Yeah. But then I hear your story and I hear about all these people who have, you know, not, you still had to go to work every day. Yeah. We still were required to report to work. Because it's a 24 hour thing. Correct. But you were not getting paid. Yeah. We were considered an accepted employee. I think what they termed, I don't remember the terminology exact that they use. Uh, Amber will tell you, kind of like, I stressed out. Yeah. <laughs> that was the first time I've ever stressed out with a job just because it was just. But this wasn't your first government no. shutdown, right? No. It Is was this just the longest f- one? This is the longest. It's the longest one in the U.S. history. Oh, you what? It, yeah. was, it was like a, it was a little over a month, right? Yeah. It was a little like 30 something days, almost I think. Five I don't weeks remember. Or something? It felt like an eternity. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. When you're not getting paid. Yeah. So yeah, you're expected to go to work and you're doing your job that you love. And people, again, like we talked about earlier, they don't know how in-depth your job is yeah. and take it for granted, and then you're not getting paid for it. Yep. Did you at least get back pay when they re-upped it? Yeah, we, we all got back pay. Okay. They, uh, they passed something early on. Um, I guess it was early on. I really can't. Like, January, the end of December and Jan, like, the whole month of January is like a blur. Yeah. But eventually, somewhere in January, they did sign that we were going to get back pay. Back pay. So we knew that that was coming. And but you just didn't know when. Yeah, we just didn't know when because it was hard. You know, we're, we're doing our jobs that we love, and you know, we just our our paychecks were kind of in the hands of other people. But we were just we just knew we had to do what we had to do, and we didn't experience any kind of delays. We we did our job just like we did every other day, and it just. But the hard part was to you know like we're there, you'd see kind of some of the morale and controllers where they were you know some of them were nervous, some of them had newborn babies that yeah you know they've they couldn't get the the insurance taken care of you know to to make sure that everything was covered because those people were gone there was so many different spectrums of where people were at in different stages financially yeah financially you know maybe somebody had just started as a controller and hadn't had the ability to you know to save any kind of money into a savings account or anything so as soon as that paycheck went away now all of a sudden they didn't have anything besides to to pull out of the savings to try to get by. Yeah. So do you, the way your, your pay works, um, do you get paid like, well, are you salary? We're salary, but we get paid every other week. So every so two twice weeks, a month. Yeah. It's like I do. Sometimes three times. Which depending is on, yeah. 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 Depending on the month. <laughs> so basically, obviously you got it paid back, but yeah. you essentially, while it was going on, you missed out on two paychecks. Two so paychecks basically we missed. A whole... Which is the first time we've ever missed a paycheck and a shutdown. So that's why it was, a stress oh, that we had never experienced. The way the weeks land, you might have still got one. Yep. Maybe the government was closed for a week, two weeks, and then it reopened and you got paid again. Yeah, there was one where it had gone for almost two weeks, uh-huh. and it, we were about to miss a paycheck, but the government reopened, and it was a we got paid that same week. It was just a delayed paycheck, so we didn't get it on our normal payday. We got it like a day later. Yeah. So that would be the only experience that we had there. But for us, well, at least from my perspective, I was in Hawaii with Amber and, and her family for Christmas. Oh, yeah. And when it happened, when it shut down, I was in Hawaii. And so I was like, oh, I'm like, I'm not going to worry about it. That's unfortunate. 
but I'm like, it's nothing to stress about. It'll it's nothing to worry about. Probably it's, last a week. It'll or just be kind of a back and forth and then it'll reopen. And then when we got home and things started to set in, like I, I told Amber a million times, like I've never felt stress from air traffic. Like I love my job. I love working planes. I love moving planes. I love doing everything about it. And I just don't get stressed. But for the first time ever, and of course it's, you know, a few months in after we got married, yeah. I'm experiencing this a crazy amount of stress that I've just never experienced before. And it literally freaked me out. That's but crazy. I still had a job to do. Yeah. So So then you I'm assuming you guys like were trying to figure out like expenses, like where do we cut here? Yeah. Just planning for the future, not knowing how long it was oh, yeah. gonna last. And it was it and this is kind of a shout out to Amber. It was a huge thing for, for me because you know, for a guy, you know, that, that just got married, it's just you want to be able to, you know, provide for everything that you yeah. kind of expected. And I remember that that first night of realizing that we were going to miss the first paycheck. It was hard because it was, okay, we're, we've got to start thinking about things because it doesn't look like there's an end in sight. But, you know, what do we got to do? And she just always reassured, everything's going to be okay. Like, we've got family that's around us. Like, we have support from everyone. Good old So, Amber. like, we're, we're, not, we're not here to... You know, to worry, don't stress. She's like, I know that you say you won't, but she's like, I know that you are because it's just, you know, I value my what I can do as a husband in you know in that relationship and be able to to take care of her. And so when you kind of lose a paycheck, it it hurts. Yeah. You know, and it's you know we were fine, <clears throat> and that's the thing is like we were fine. We have savings, and we were very fortunate. And it was just the fact that it was no end in sight, and there was nothing that I could control. To be like, hey, like. Can we just get you guys to shake hands and can you guys just like hug and make up and yeah. just, you know, reopen this thing? And so I was watching the news like all the time. <laughs> Did you <laughs> I ever had watch my the news really out. before that? No, I don't ever watch the news. <laughs> I, hate the I, news. I, I, I hate, I despise the news because yeah, it's news. never positive. Yeah. But I would sit on my phone like it was like, start oh, downloading it's... all these new apps you would never download. Cause... I would literally just like sit on like CNN and MSNBC. I'd be like, oh, it's been five minutes. We've been watching Netflix, and I haven't checked news yet. Like, maybe something's changed in five minutes. And so that's... I think that's where Amber was just like, I can tell. She's like, you just need to put your phone down. Stop looking at it because every time you look at it and you see that nothing's happening, just you're, just, you're getting fed the negative. Yeah. And you're not allowing yourself to just be like, you know what? It is okay. So, you know, for for that, I was so grateful because without Amber, I would have been a, like just a mess trying to figure out you know this kind of i don't want to say hostage but you just felt like you were being held hostage yeah and so it just got to the point where she was right 100 percent, she was right she i just needed to not worry about it we we were very lucky and very fortunate and that we had been very smart with money and we just knew that okay like we're just we'll just go easy you know we don't need to go out all the time we don't need to go out to dinner like yeah. we'll, we'll cut some bills that we just don't need anymore so we actually fine-tune a lot of things and have you guys kept those or have you just re-upped those? No, we, we realized that the stuff, like when we went to go through and start cutting stuff out of the bills like and stuff Netflix that we didn't need, stuff. well, we kind of get that from my parents. So oh, there you like, go. Yeah. <laughs> we don't really <laughs> yeah, pay yeah, for yeah. that one. So, But all the other ones, like, yeah. you, you've, you've, so basically you learned that, oh, maybe those things aren't as important. And even though I'm getting paid again, yeah. I it's don't just, need those things. I just don't need them. And it was, it actually ended up doing a lot of good. More than I think than I anticipated at the start. Yeah, blessing in disguise. Because we landed up, like I said, we just went through and we find tooth comb and just move things out that we just didn't need. And then next thing you know, government reopened and we looked at, hey, so do we need to reapproach those things? Do we need them? And we looked at it and we're like, we really don't need it. 
Like we cut out cable TV. No, I haven't yeah. had TV in years. And so we just went with YouTube TV. It's yeah. f- like 40 bucks a month, go YouTube. And it just gives us anything that we need there. But we've got, we had Amazon Prime, which was a, a, a sad one to let go. Yeah. But at the same time, we're like, do we really need it? Like we don't. Yeah. So, you know, eventually at one point, like we may reconsider it, but like we got Netflix for movies so we're what set there. What you do there. is you you have find someone who has Amazon Prime. I know. And well, then you pay them. That we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My sister is uh, definitely taking care of us in that regard. There you go. Yeah, yeah I shared with my brother because they got rid of theirs and they're like, but we still want to use it. Can we just pay you half the fee, the yearly fee? And I was like, yeah, sure, just Venmo me in April when it ups and then you yeah. can use it. So Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, so we figure that like I, my sister's got – the other half of our Sam's Club membership. So oh, there you go, like, yeah. we hooked her up. Yeah. So it's so weird too, like kind of wrap it up with the whole government thing. Like I, don't, I hate politics and I don't really pay attention to it. I'm not the most knowledgeable about it anyways. And I probably sound like an idiot when I talk about it. But when I first heard the government was like shutting down again, I'm like, this is the weirdest thing. Like it's hard. Who, who else does this? Like you don't hear like, I know there's been unions and strikes. Don't worry. I've seen newsies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, it's like, <laughs> Like what other institution or business is like? Nah, we're done. We're not gonna. We're not gonna do this for right now. We're just gonna right. shut down. Like just imagine freaking Walmart. Be like, nah, we're like we're just gonna shut down. We don't feel like working or we yeah. can't figure something out. So all Walmart's are gonna shut down for the next couple of weeks. Like, I think that Walmart shutting down would be even crazier than yeah. freaking the government shutting down. But it's Walmart everywhere. I know. I just thought to myself, I'm like that is just so weird. If you just take a step back and look, like what other organization is just like. Nah, we can't come to an agreement, so we're just going to shut down for a while. It's just, it's weird. Yeah, it was, I mean, when you think about the implications that that it did, I mean, it wasn't just air traffic control. There were so many other people that were affected. National parks. It was like 800,000 federal employees. But, you know, the the cool thing, at least I can only speak on behalf of what we went through, was the community stepped up. It was really cool. Like, everybody showed up and... We had people bring in food for us. Really? Um, we had UVU brought food for us. We had Bountiful Flight School bring food. Delta took care of us. I mean, there was just so much love and support from all around. And That's cool. For the first time, it, it sounds kind of weird because we talked about it throughout the majority of this, but since you, no one sees us, no one knows about us, for the first time, we kind of felt like we were recognized. People actually mm. knew that we were we existed. Yeah. And people showed up all the time, like every day with something, with, with food, with a huge card. You know, Westminster brought in a huge card for us um, from all their flight school for their, their uh, student pilots. Um, like a this, gift card or something? No, it was just a big card with just a oh, lot of card. Like, people. Oh, card. A lot of people signed Yeah, they had made one, and there was a lot of people, like, they had just brought in. There was a couple of companies around the, the state that had just wanted to to show support and do whatever they could to just let us know, like, hey, we, like the We're community's got idea. your back. Yeah, that's and cool. And so it was really cool for Salt Lake to see that for our air traffic control facilities. And, and it, like I say, for the first time, it was somebody. People actually knew who you were. We, we were finally recognized. Yeah. Hoping that perspective yeah, has and it stuck was, with people. It was not. an unfortunate way to be recognized yeah, yeah. In, in, the, in the events, but, the, like, the love at the same time was was definitely felt by everyone, and we still talk about it. That's cool. So, well, to kind of wrap it up, like, do you guys, um, if anyone wants to get into air traffic control and they live here in Utah or yeah. like, where, like, should they go to just look up like what's 
the schools they should they should head to as far as no the uh, the government's actually going to start hiring a lot off the street now that it we're back open up again um, with some training right yeah with I training I want to just know Joe Schmo no <laughs> no but they uh, there's so many f- schools that you can go to now like that list of ten schools that we talked about earlier is now just it's there's so many hundreds but they've also opened it to now where if you're interested in it you can go to usajobs.gov and put in for the the air traffic control position and start entering your application that way. And all you need is like four years of work experience. I don't know the exact requirements, but you'll have to look at it on there. Put your hours in kind of thing. Yeah. You put your time in for work experience. You have to have, you know, education underneath you, but you don't have to go through all, you you don't even have to get an associate's or a bachelor's degree now. You can just go straight to that route. So you would go get hired straight away and then you would go, to the initial government training. So you'd go to Oklahoma City where the kind of headquarters is for air traffic control training. And you'd go out there and then you would find out. I don't know the the process now because it changes so much as to when you would find out what facility you go to. But there they would announce it to you as to where you would go. Or they'd give you a list of options that you could choose from. So it wasn't just you're going here. Yeah. So they they try to get you as close to home or some place that you want to be as much as they possibly can. But... Not every place has an airport that's run by the government yeah. or, you know, even has any kind of facilities. So, like I say, they'll try to help you out. And then sometimes I'm sure the list doesn't get you as close to home, but it, it opens a door. Yeah. 100%. And it's an awesome door to open. So you just, it's more of a direct, pun intended, flight to uh, yeah, it's direct it, line to like get yeah. into the business instead of having to go through school and get a bachelor's. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a longer hiring process because there's, you know, background checks that they got to do. Yeah. And there's all these other tests that they'll, they'll do to make sure that you're qualified and capable to initiate the training. And even when you enter the training, you don't, you're not guaranteed the job. Yeah. You have to pass the training. And then when you get to the facility, you're, you've got to complete the training there. And like for a TRACON, it's anywhere from like a year and a half to two years. A center takes about two to three years to fully certify. Oh, wow. And a tower could be anywhere from, depending on where it's at, because yeah. towers are can be at the really low-level airports where there's just not as much traffic. So some of the towers you could probably certify in in less than six months. And then some bigger but, airports where you're dealing with a lot more traffic, it's yeah. a lot more Like we're, we're a level 10 here, and the highest level in the, in the country is a 12. So your 12s are like Atlanta and LAX. Yeah. But we're a, we work level 12 traffic here. It's just we don't work it from sun up to sundown constant throughout the There's day. There's just spurts of... We get good-sized banks, and then all of a sudden we get like a 45-minute or a 30-minute lull where we can get some breaks, and then all of a sudden we're back in, and we're back into the, the level 12 traffic. So, I mean, we pull a lot of planes here. Wow. So... Well, there you go. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me on the episode 65. It's good old 65. Yeah, number seven of what it's like to be, and today was what it's like to be a air traffic control specialist. That's what I'm talking with about. With Patrick DeWall. That's right. So, uh, peace out, everybody. Catch you on the next episode, and uh, yeah, you can say bye if you want. Yeah, or... keep the friend. This guy's friendly. <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> peace out, man. See ya.